I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, small business advanced tax planning and compliance extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Today, we're going to welcome to the podcast, Eric Brotman. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. It was. Brotman. So far, so good. You All nailed right. it. You, you're a real pro at this. <laughs> Eric is the CFP, AEP, CPWA, and is the Chief Executive Officer of BFG Financial Advisors. That is a lot of credentials. Um, an independent firm assisting clients with wealth creation, preservation, and distribution. Eric has over 25 years of experience in financial planning and founded the firm in Baltimore in 2003. I've never been to Baltimore. It's lovely. I, but, I want but, to. But, but nicer nicer in the spring and fall yeah. than in the summer and winter. Yeah, that's on my list of places to go in that time frame. I think everywhere is better in the spring and the fall, though, quite Just honestly. about. Well, except Arizona. It's still yeah. too hot in the spring and fall there. Yeah, I prefer Colorado in the spring and the fall. So uh-huh. yeah, pretty much so. everywhere. BFG provides investment, retirement, estate insurance, and comprehensive financial planning services for families, professionals, executives, and business owners. And then we're going to move down to this next part. Eric is the host of the Don't Retire Graduate podcast dedicated to teaching listeners how to advance into retirement rather than retreating Shameless plug. into it. I'm getting there right just in just a second. Uh-huh. Every episode provides listeners with inspiration and actionable advice to guide each of them towards a seamless transition into a dignified retirement. His new book, uh, Don't Retire, Graduate, is published. This one says due to be published. It's I know. You're reading published. An old You're reading an old bio. I know. This is like June's bio. I think we talked months ago and originally. Um you don't have to go through all of that. I'm not going to. If you want to just have me that introduce myself. That was the myself, last I, part. You can, okay. you can tell me the rest of it later. I mean, dear I'll God. I'll that later. All the credentialing and all the nonsense. Let's just talk shop and have <laughs> some fun. Seriously, I, I, I'm not formal and uh, no, want to have some it's fun. Totally cool. And your listeners will, I hope, love this and don't. Yeah, I got lots of good questions for you. Cool. I'm so, ready. So first thing I'm first. a Capricorn. <laughs> when, when are you, did you already start the recording on this show? Is this yeah. actually the show? Yeah, we're ready to go. Oh, gosh. All right. <laughs> I thought you were rehearsing. No, that's fine. What was your first job? My first job, my first real job was uh, at Burger King at 14, where I made it your way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I I, um, <laughs> I got a real experience when minimum wage moved from 285 an hour to 335 an hour. I worked 20 hours a week and made 66 bucks a week. Flipping burgers, wearing polyester. At 14. At 14. Walk to work. Yeah. I had already done the the lawn mowing and the snow shoveling and all that kind of stuff. I don't count that exactly, but um, I just wish Roth IRAs had existed. Well. Because I'd have funded them. But you did some of the entrepreneurial stuff first. Um, I did. I, I definitely did. And, um, yeah. and then did Burger King. And then I had a ton of different internships in high school and college. I actually... Um, wanted to sort of figure out what I like to do and rule out the things that I didn't like. That's to what do. I don't want my kids to do. I'm going to be like, go intern with my friend there and go intern with my friend there and go for And then you just go and go intern with daddy. And what do yeah. you like? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And, you know, to me, figuring out what I didn't want to be when I grew up 
um, was part of it. And, you know, I think what, what I, my daughter's 10 and what I tell her all the time is not to grow up because adult things a trap. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so, all mine too. It, honestly, <laughs> Same age. I, I was like, don't do it. It's grossly overrated. Mm-hmm. And yet she's still barreling toward 11. It's not okay. Mm-mm. No, mine are 12 and 10. So that's scary. I feel you. My 12 year old mm-hmm. is about 5'10, 140 pounds, wears a men's size 12 shoe. He's huge. And mm-hmm. I forget he's 12 because he looks so huge. <laughs> but my 10 year old is still like the proper size. Uh-huh. <laughs> proper right si- you're saying your your eldest is improperly sized? Yes, he he's, he's gigantic. He got well, some kind so of there's a scholarship, wa- a scholarship waiting now. He's not sportsy at all. <laughs> He's the antithesis of sportsy. <laughs> best practice, because if he can't dunk. I keep telling him, I said, people are going to ask you if you play basketball all the time. I said, you just tell them you like putt-putt. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, people ask if I golf, and I say I do, but I always have to avoid the spinning surfboard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it gets me every time. I know. Um, so give us the rundown on your career journey. Um, well, like I said, I flipped burgers and did some different things, worked mm-hmm. as a stock boy in a, in a, um, a clothing store, climbing ladders and counting inventory with oh, tick fun. marks, honest to God, mm-hmm. uh, crazy. Um, I got my, uh, did some internships. I worked in college for a newspaper, actually, uh, selling advertising. So mm-hmm. I, I got some sales opportunity there and got to meet business owners and work with people and create campaigns, which was very, very cool. Um, I, my, my first job, my first real job out of college was at Leg Mason. I was in the legal department of a brokerage firm mm-hmm. because, you know, here I am doing finance now 26, 27 years and I'm an English major and I studied English and psychology mm-hmm. because like you trying to figure out what you wanted to major in at Cal State, um, I had uh, no idea what I wanted to do. And so I studied uh, late 18th century romantic poetry. Wow. I can't tell you how infrequently that comes in handy. <laughs> But, but, but I enjoyed it, you know, and now yeah. I've written three books. So I'm using the English major, right? There you go. Um, and quite frankly, believe in behavioral finance. So I believe I'm using the psychology piece of this too. So I think it's come full circle, but I was at Lake Mason and I was in the legal department and I fell in, I was planning to go to law school like mm-hmm. English majors do. Yeah, like and they I, do. I, I fell in love with, with the brokerage business. I fell in love with the um, financial and investment world and fell out of love with the legal profession. And I mean, I took the LSATs twice. I applied to school. I got into school. I paid a deposit at school and I didn't go. Hmm. Like I ate a deposit for law school. Yikes. When I said, it's just not my path. This is not what I want to be. And Hmm. um, I thank my stars for that every day. Right. I do. It would have been a great education, but I don't know that many happy lawyers. Yeah. They're not happy. Yeah. I, at one point thought I was going to be, I really wanted to be an auditor. I loved my audit, my auditing classes. That's the classes I loved so much. Yeah. I'm so grateful. I never got an auditing job. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, you do like to count beans. That's part of your thing. Um, I do, but I like tax beans. I like, okay. I like well, creating change for people through tax savings. Like you don't really get to do that oh. with audit. No, you know, you don't. And mm-hmm. I could use all the tax savings I can get. So I'm glad we're having this talk. I'm we all can. Free, I'm going to get some free tax advice from you today. Okay, uh, you can so, try. <laughs> so, so leg was the only time I ever worked for anyone mm-hmm. um, because I, I got a real taste of the corporate world. And it wasn't for me. Um, I, uh, the, the, the head of operations of this brokerage firm that was, that was you know, Baltimore was the home office at the time. It's still the home office, but um, came in. And he was this 
caricature of what you picture in a financial world. He had a, he was six foot something, Frankenstein sized, blue suit, white shirt, red tie, perfect shoes, dark, deep voice, Cape Man. And he said, he said, all of you around the table, this is new employee orientation. Mm -hmm. He says, all of you just paid lots of money to go to school. You're going to learn more here in six months than you learned four years of college. And you should be paying us for the opportunity to be here. And that's the last I want to talk about salaries. And I was like, I feel important. <laughs> um, not welcome to the team. We're glad you're here. I mean, this was, this was the early nineties. And at that point it was still okay to say, pack up your desk and leave. Mm -hmm. um, today, people are a little more sensitive, but. Uh, you know, the reality was it, it was an awful, awful introduction. Um, you You're know, just a I, cog. Yeah. And, and I was in a department with five people in the legal transfer department. And after I had been there for eight months, I had seniority. Turnover was almost 100%. No. Because it was an awful job. Ugh. It paid nothing. It paid nothing at all. And, uh, and it was an awful job. And when people left the department, I said to my then supervisor, who I actually really liked, I thought she was amazing and a great boss, actually. Um, and I said to her, I said, I, I said, I can do the work of two people in this department. Pay me 50% more so I can afford cream cheese on a bagel in, in the morning mm -hmm. with breakfast, you know. Mm -hmm. Little locks, um, maybe. I mean, I couldn't pay rent. No locks. Just all I wanted was cream cheese. Um, I had to get a roommate. Rent was 600 bucks a month and I needed a roommate. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, she said, I can't do that corporate policy, yada, yada. And I quit the day of my first raise because it was so pitiful. I said, mm -hmm. I, I can't live on this. Yeah. I qualified for assistance with the gas and electric company yeah. as a full-time em employee at a terrific firm. And, and basically they looked at it as you're continuing your education. We don't have to pay you anything. You're just lucky to be here. That's so wrong. And that was, so now you fast forward and I, I, I went to work for an insurance company. I spent five years learning, um, getting lots of, of education, doing my alphabet soup. Um, my bio is a ridiculous soup of <laughs> alphabet. It's like 10, I, I have like 10 you acronyms. More than I do. And most of them I don't even use. They don't matter. It was just a chance for me to educate myself because mm -hmm. I had a lot going for me at 22. I looked 12 mm -hmm. and I had an English degree and I was going to come give financial advice. To people two and three times my age who had seen things I couldn't fathom. Mm -hmm. What could go wrong? <laughs> so, seen, I, yeah, I was yeah. a 23 tax manager, uh -huh. mid-sized firm, walking into businesses. And they're looking right. at me like, where did you come from, little girl? Right. Is it is it bring your daughter to work? Today? And they would kind of come at me and then they would realize I'm not a little girl. <laughs> Never <Yep>. have been. <laughs> Fair enough. I actually went the other way and mm -hmm. played the uh, played the you could be my grandparents card. Let's mm -hmm. do business. Um, so, but but at any rate, I spent five years there and I got my education. And when I finally did this, the CFP and got the certified financial uh, practitioner piece, I said, OK, I, I, I want to do financial planning. And I worked for an insurance company. You can't do financial planning in an insurance company. You specifically couldn't then. It's still hard. Um, we had a broker dealer with one employee. Her name was Nancy. And when Nancy went to lunch, the broker dealer was closed. You can't make this up. This is, this God's honest truth. I think it's still true. Well, maybe <laughs> when Nancy went to lunch, we all just stopped working. Mm -hmm. um, and it, so 
I had to leave the firm and I found, I was introduced to somebody who was uh, almost 10 years ahead of me in, mm -hmm. uh, in the business. And he was looking for some sweat equity. He had venture capital. He had plenty of money, but not enough time. And I had plenty of time and not enough money. Mm -hmm. So we started a firm in, in 1999 or we came together in 99 and it was, it was brilliant. So, you know, your history, I presume we, we did pro formas and we hired all these advisors and we were ready. We were starting a company. We took mm -hmm. on space and we furnished it and we hired people and we launched March 29th, 2000. Oof. Okay. Five days after the market peaked when the tech bubble exploded. Mm -hmm. And that was our launch point. That's where we started. And it was a lesson in tenacity mm -hmm. um, that I will never forget. I, you know, we've never, I, I don't know that I've ever worked that much or that hard for that little, mm -hmm. but it was some, we were building something. Yeah. And, um, you know, four years later, four years later, um, the firm I was working with uh, merged with another company and they were really looking to work with only very high net worth folks. Mm -hmm. And I really liked working with mass affluent, but lots of people. Mm -hmm. And it became an opportunity for me to start on my own. And so I, um, I, I wouldn't call it a divorce. We're all good friends. I, mm -hmm. I graduated from that and, you know, I helped him launch and then I got to do it and I got to build a firm. I was 31 years old. I, I was, I was 31. I was divorced. I had no kids. Hmm. It was time to take a risk. And I borrowed money from everywhere and started a company. I love it. And it was an awesome experience. And, you know, now we're still here and we're 21 employees in three states and um, manage almost half a billion dollars for families all over the U.S. Mm -hmm. And it's gratifying and I'm having more fun. I've launched a consulting firm. I've launched a media company. Like we're, we're doing some really fun things and writing books and doing podcasts and blogging. And I'm just having a ball. I know. Isn't it fun? <laughs> I, I I, I have, ne I couldn't, I couldn't have scripted this any better, mm -hmm. you know, and, mm -hmm. and I, you know, so I, I wrote this book called don't retire, graduate mm -hmm. with the idea that retirement is horrible for us and none of us should do it. That was my next question. So just go ahead. Well, I, Jamie, I'm, I'm reading your mind <laughs> I know. right now. Do you We're feel just, that? Yeah. Do you feel you're what's just, happening? You're like right here. <laughs> um, it, I think retirement's a horrible idea. This idea that you work, that you you get your education and you build your credentials and you build your experience and you work for 35, 40, 45 years to become idle absolutely, and to disappear and retreat mm -hmm. and to have your LinkedIn page say, I'm retired, I do nothing and to sit on the beach. Yeah. Um, does that really you, happen though? Well, so it does. Do and, that. <laughs> well, no, most people actually sit on the couch, eat potato yeah. chips, watch Oprah and hope for, for like six months, right? <laughs> It's so boring. People don't I can't thrive. imagine. I can't imagine. No, they don't thrive. I don't know what and, I do. <laughs> um, well, you would you would not thrive. Mm -mm. I'd sit and on the beach that, for a couple of weeks and then I'd be like, okay, now what's next? Let's go well, put no, something it, else. <laughs> see, if you do it right, you sit on the beach for a couple of weeks every year mm -hmm. without giving up your career. Right. Surround yourself with amazing people who are okay with you going to the beach for a few weeks and go. Mm -hmm. But I never want to quit this. Mm-mm. This is fun. As long as I am physically able, which I believe is for the long term, I hope mm -hmm. I'm taking care of myself. And as long as I am, you know, I'm cognitively functional, which, you know, my daughter might say I'm not all the time, but I think I am. Um, <laughs> That's you know, I want to do this for as long as I can. Yeah. So let's talk about how retirement has changed. So that was really kind of my next question is, yeah. you know, I know that like the history of retirement is really like you work till you're 65 and then they give you a party and then like you die like two years later. 
<laughs> Actually, it's, it's, it's almost worse than that. Uh-huh. But that's not like, true anymore. Well, the history of retirement it actually started many, many, many years ago, but Mm -hmm. in the sort of modern world, retirement was started in the 1860s by Otto von Bismarck, Mm -hmm. who said uh, that that one should be happy with the uh, retirement they are dismissed into. (laughs) Truly, it was like punishment. It was like, go away. It's like, you're an obsolete cog. We are retiring you. Go away. We've got a younger model. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then, you know, just here locally in Baltimore, Johns Hopkins is here. And the, some of the folks who, uh, Osler, there's an Osler building here. And the, the and what this PhD said about uh, aging at the time, this mm-hmm. is many years ago, he said that, you know, your ages of prosperity and, and, um, and usefulness are from 20 to 40. Oh, well, I'm out. From 40 to, <laughs> me too. From 40 to 60, you're tolerable. Oh. And after 60, you're basically useless. Hmm. So I'm glad I'm still tolerable. I suspect you are too. Pretty tolerable. Um, I'm mostly tolerable. Um, and so, so then you go to Social Security. Mm. Jamie, think about Social Security. There's nothing there. Well, true, because the trust fund isn't a trust fund. But I no. digress. Let's, no, what, not, let's not go there. We're not but, even going to go there. <laughs> but when Social Security was created, people entered the workforce at 18. Yeah. Because most of them didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. You got because out of high school. Actually, get jobs in, you know. So there and there were jobs, jobs. and you Mm -hmm. could get a job with a high school degree. Mm -hmm. Because years ago in high school, buy a house. Well, years ago in high school, they were translating Latin into Greek. Now they're learning not to eat Tide Pods. (laughs) Like, how does that happen? So, so I don't know. It's alarming, but but at any rate, so you you entered the workforce at Mm eighteen, you retired at Mm sixty-five, and you were dead at seventy. Yeah. Um. Today. We don't enter the workforce till 22, 25. Heck, if it's med school, you might be 30. Oh, by the way, you're That's not crazy. entering at zero. You're entering at negative 85 grand because you're student loans. At least. You want to retire at 55 and could live to be 107. <laughs> right. What are you going to do? If, if, even if you retire at 70, mm-hmm. what are you going to do for what might be 20 or 30 years? I know. That's what, bogg- that's what boggles my mind right now. My grandmother... My last living grandparent just died two years ago. She was 98. Hmm. All my other grandparents lived pretty long too. So that means, and, they, and they're saying now that the people, there's already going to be a bunch of people that are going to live until 110 that have, oh, they've yeah. already, they've all been born. Mm-hmm. Be very, well, well, it could be me. It could be you. It could be. I, it, it's you not going to be. It's not going to be the two of us. We did not. We grew up in an era where we did bad things, and it's not yeah. going to happen. But our kids, <laughs> our kids are growing up in an era where people are being more health conscious. Mm-hmm. They're they're being more organic. They're mm-hmm. thinking about what, things in different ways, exercise. and they could live well mm-hmm. into. I mean, I never exercised as a kid. Yeah. I played some sports, but I not yeah. well. My mom but, is my mom is seventy, and she does she does the bookkeeping for all of our clients. That's great. That's on wonderful. QBO, something that I know that plenty of people in my own freaking industry can't learn. <laughs> I hate QBO. Oh my gosh, QBO is the best. I want. To, we'll have to have this conversation. I want the... to punch whoever came up with that in the throat. Because, oh my gosh, it's amazing. No, there was great software, and that is not it. They ruined a very good piece of software. QBO, in my opinion. You'll have to try it again. I'll have to walk you through it. <sighs> All right, you're on. You're on. We'll we'll do that over. Uh, we'll do it over, <laughs> Captain and Ginger. <laughs> fine just the one <laughs> well yeah one captain and ginger we we established before the podcast that eric can't have more than one no that's or, scotch that's oh not, scotch it's yeah, scotch yeah, no, no, not no no, no. <laughs> i'm not drinking scotch and doing qbo with you it's not gonna happen 
not doing it. <laughs> You'll just get real mad at me. Yeah. Feisty. That's hilarious. It's not worth it. Um, so what are some of the key differences in how each generation is approaching financial planning right now? Well, you know, let's, let's start with the remaining members of the greatest generation because they're, they're octogenarians. Yeah. So what is, uh, so how old are they? So what is that age? You know, I don't know what the, I I don't know know that one aging band, but that's the, the, the folks who were the boomers parents, Mm -hmm. some of whom are still out there and they're in their eighties and nineties. I mean, these are older people, but, Mm. um, for them, retirement was still mostly pensions and social security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they weren't required to put together much of a nest egg. Yeah. My husband's um, parent, my husband's grandparents all have pensions. Uh, pensions are rare now, unless mm-hmm. you're in, unless you're in the public service, if you're mm-hmm. in private industry, they were it's also basically gone. Public service, yeah. So if, I mean, if your government employees do have that uh, in most places, um, but um, so they approached it very differently. That was more along the lines of we're going to get our pension. We're going to, um, we're not going to live that long. They, the ones who are still living, I think most of them are surprised they're still here. Mm-hmm. My father's in his early eighties and, and is, he's already like, he's halfway to heaven already. Um, I mean, God love him. He's already like, I've, I've picked out my spot. He's I'm like, gonna I'm go see, good. I'm going to go. I've, he's like, I've done it. I'm going to go see my parents. Okay. Um, yeah. so, but, that, uh, but the boomers, boomers, Boomers were ready to retire when mm-hmm. 08 hit mm-hmm. and it, it scared them. Mm-hmm. It scared them badly because some of them did better than others. Clearly they had better strategies, better whatever, but um, boomers don't want to give up their incomes. Mm-hmm. They're spenders. They like to do, they like to dine out and they like to travel and they want to have their lifestyle and they're not excited to retire and they're not mm-hmm. sure they can afford to retire anyway. So that's why there are no jobs for the next couple of generations because people aren't leaving the workforce. They very much like to hold, you know, hold on to their, to their happy things. Well, because they don't have a plan for mm-hmm. after they work, that is a life plan. Forget the financials. Right. They can have all the money in the world. If they don't know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. In the, you know, Jamie, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't really know yet. And don't do it. It's a fact. <laughs> I don't want to. So no, don't ever grow up. So, so now Gen X, I presume you're a Gen Xer like me. We I'm a with, cusper. I'm right on that Gen nah, X nah, nah, millennial. Nah. No, no, we need you. Come to the, come to our side because, uh, you know, you know grew if up. I want to. <laughs> no, you grew up with reality bites in the breakfast club and, and John, John Hughes movies. I know yeah. you do. So I'm in a, so I'm, was born 1980. So we're like, right, there's, it's called them, there's a, like a micro generation there between mm-hmm. the Xers and the millennials. They call them the Zennials. So we did reality bites and all that, but we also played Oregon Trail and had phones like <laughs> That's fair. in high school. Yes. yes. I finished college before email. So that does make <laughs> us different. Gen- I did. Yeah. That makes us a slightly different generation. That is I'll, totally different generation. Yeah, oh, we yeah. had right. AOL, like instant messenger and stuff. Oh no. Instant messenger. I, I played like games on at like this old oh. brick Apple computer when I was younger. So we were, it's a little, it's very interesting how, like I always say I'm like late gen, early millennial. Cause mm-hmm. I really have like definitely both like I like hard worker, but also like work-life balance. Right. My mm-hmm. husband was born 25 days before me and he's literally a boomer. <laughs> he's Okay. So he, he, he's, he's aged more it's than his like, years. His mentality is just very different. Okay. It's really well, funny. M- millennials are the first generation. Xers, by the way, let's go back to Xers. Xers okay. are, we're, we're, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on your podcast. Xers are kind of, they're kind of pissed off. 
Yeah, we don't. Um, yeah, they're kind of forgotten. Xers are feeling, first of all, we're a tiny generation, so we'll never have political pull. We're going to do whatever the boomers want, and then we're going to do whatever the millennials want, and we're not going to ever have a vote or a say in anything. So that gives us a chip on our shoulder. Beyond that, we were, um, we were the last generation who were sold a bill of goods that there was a track that you had to run on, and it was the boomers track. Mm-hmm. Millennials know better. We're pissed. I'm pretty but, pissed well, about that a lot of the time. <laughs> Well, but millennials, well, I mean, you should be pissed, but millennials, millennials coined the, the side hustle. Mm-hmm. They figured out that you were a free agent. Mm-hmm. They said, pensions, what are you kidding? I might not even invest in my, in my 401k match. Mm-hmm. Um, and millennials jump, they, they job jump, they move to different places. They're not buying homes in the same way. And these aren't, millennials aren't, aren't kids. Mm-hmm. Millennials are in their thirties. They're, they're buying Late homes and they're, 30s. and they have kids. Late 30s. So I still think of millennials as mostly children. Um, which just shows that I've got a little boomer in me too, I realize. Um, but millennials have figured it out. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't believe at all in work-life balance. I don't think it exists. I think aspiring for it is a, is a, a fallacy. I think work-life integration mm-hmm. exists. My friend, the, my friend Stephen Crawford calls it work-life synergy. Okay. So I like same, integration too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that balance doesn't exist. It's not like you're going to be one thing one day and one thing the other. In fact, mm-hmm. if anything, you're a, you're a professional, a podcaster, a mom, a wife, a, a daughter, a, whatever, like you've got mm-hmm. 10 roles, 20 mm-hmm. roles. And it's not like you're going to be like, well, today, today I'm going to be a CPA, but tomorrow all mom all the time. Yeah. Right. No. Like you're a CPA who might have to do some momming and then a mom who might have to do some CPAing mm-hmm. and you get it. Yeah. You know, so um, that's the millennials. Now Z's, Z's are an interesting bunch. Yeah. That's really interesting. How old are, you know, are Z's are like 25 now? and under. I was going to say they're coming up on 20s, in yeah, the 20s, 20s now, but Z's, a bunch of my cousins are Z's. Z's will be the last generation in my opinion to take student loans. Uh-huh. Yep. This is they're going to know better. Yeah. They're going to they're going to say, you know what? I do not have to go to college Mm-mm. in order to get a, a to start a career number 1 because people care more about what I know, what I'm made of and who I know than they do what mm-hmm. what diploma I have on my wall. Absolutely. Um and they're also uh, at the same time they're, they're not only are they going to not take student loans on um I actually think that they're going to be more aware even than the millennials of their space like you can forget the mcmansions they're done mm-hmm. these little tiny houses are happening and um, this idea that that we don't need a ton of space mm-hmm. and that it's better to be it's like the fire movement right it, yeah. it's it is better to be financially independent and not take on all that stuff and not you know, the extras were sold that it was, it was, you know, first it was the, the college and then it was career and, and then it was, car, and then it was a, was a, babies, a spouse and, was a and, two, and the dog and the mm-hmm. right, 2.3 kids, a dog and a fence. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that was going to be, <laughs> we had, we had that we had two kids, golden retriever. Okay. I was thinking bulldog myself, mm-hmm. but, but no, whatever. So, but that was the, that was the thing. It was the white picket fence. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know any. Z's who are looking for that. In fact, what they really want Mm -hmm. is to be learning, to be growing, to be appreciated, Mm -hmm. to be respected. Mm -hmm. And uh, so millennials, when you think about it, are this interesting combination of Xers and Z's. Isn't that funny how it's kind of like, like we all kind of took different bits Mm -hmm. from, you know, how, how things have changed over the years. my, My daughter, my daughter grew up 
in a completely different era, clearly, than I did. I mean, mm-hmm. I was 38 when I became a dad, first of all. Mm-hmm. So that, that I was a little bit older as a, a, a parent. But, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, I, I remember when she was no more than three or four years old, she came into my office and she was touching my, my monitor. Mm-hmm. She couldn't understand why it wasn't moving. Yep, might have done that too. <laughs> like, what's a mouse? <laughs> what, something so simple as that that I never thought of to them she whips around on the ipad she puts me to shame yeah like i'm like how does this thing work <laughs> it's like i can still program a vhs if i have to yeah, um, right? so uh, the generational thing is, is is interesting but the 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 pendulum has swung from a work-life balance concept to a work-life integration concept and mm-hmm. i think now we're actually going to see seasons of life in a different way i think people are going to be much more likely to take a year off Mm-hmm. and travel when they're 35 than they ever used to because they couldn't I love it you know i think people are going to say i'm i'm going to work six months this year or i'm going to take on only certain projects mm-hmm. or you know i'm gonna uh, i'm going to be uh, i'm going to do this for for these five or ten years and then i'm going to change careers entirely yeah and i think what i love we're actually in the middle of putting out a job posting for a firm manager for us and my i'll take it <laughs> and my VI Emily and I were looking at this and she like had she she has an HR degree and she's like education requirements and I was like just take it off I don't I, I hate that like I don't care if they have a degree like we're looking for somebody with specific um strengths specific desires like they're gonna have to want to work here they're gonna have to do what I need them to do like it's gonna have Great. to be a good fit culturally grit. yes grit absolutely perseverance independence like you know, those but are also, all, but also charisma and kindness yeah. and empathy and yeah. like be a, and that's be all a, the be rest a of good is, human. Yeah. And the rest of it's just like, learn how our apps work yeah. and tell me that I have too many, like your job is going right. to be to call me out on this shit. Right. So right. Right. you have to have at least a strong enough personality to deal with me, which is going to be kind of hard to find, but I don't, care. I'm having trouble with it already. I don't care what your education requirement. Yeah. You know, I don't care what your education is. Um, I, I, I think that's, not uncommon now. Yeah. And I think this whole important. idea that you have to have this degree from what it, now there are certain fields where mm-hmm. it will help to have, I mean, if you're an MIT grad and you're an engineer, there's, right. there's certain fields where that's I'm still going to be pedigreed. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, <laughs> um, but that's still going to be pedigreed. They're not my clients. <laughs> uh, understood. Very you know, one. architects, architects and engineers, yeah. uh, you know, but, but it is changing and it it's changing, changing for the better, by I the way, so too. It's changing for the better. This idea, you know, the, 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 the greatest generation and even a lot of the boomers worked for the same company for 30 years. They wore the same hard hat for 30 years. They got their pension, their gold watch, and they rode off in the sunset. That doesn't exist anymore. And I wouldn't have wanted that. Mm-mm. It doesn't exist anymore. Even in these bigger corporations, they don't even no. have that anymore. We're like excited for a 401k match. Yes. You know, <laughs> Yes. Well, yes. And that's, and, and more people are working for small employers and mm-hmm. more their small businesses are, are popping up. And, you know, COVID has changed the landscape a lot. And I, I don't think we can, um, I don't think we can underscore how much we don't know yet about what that's done to small business, what it's done to families, what it's done, the, the K-shaped recovery that has begun and that will continue mm-hmm. made the haves have more and the have nots have less. Mm-hmm. and it will create some issues and that's not to opine politically it's just to recognize that there are going to be people who were already one paycheck from oblivion who are now four months behind on rent yeah that's um, the real worry there 
it, it's a problem. There, there is an oblivion point mm-hmm. from which you can't recover yeah. or it's almost impossible to recover. And I, I think making sure that we keep people from that, but we don't do it in a way that's irresponsible. Right. Because, you know, we, we have clients who own rental homes and who have tenants who haven't paid rent in months. And while I empathize with the tenant who can't pay rent, I also empathize with the owner of the, of the building who's paying mortgages and not collecting rent. Mm-hmm. No one's winning on this deal. Nope, absolutely not. I know and there's there's a lot of like, but them and but them, but it's like nobody wins in this situation. No, it's destroying everyone's credit. It's destroying mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of family trajectories. Yeah, it's destroying cash flows. Well, it's destroying a lot of things. And in the generation before mine, it was very common to have a married couple with kids and one job in the house. Mm, can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. Well, but now I'm not even sure you can do two jobs in the house. No. Because now you've got mom and dad are both working, plus one of them's got a side hustle or a business or they're doing something. Else. Like, it takes three jobs now. Mm. And that can't be a good thing. It's not sustainable. Uh, well, if it is, the stress level... I mean, the reason why all, uh, all humanity is, is popping Xanax is because we are doing this to ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. like at some point, at, at some point, when is enough enough and mm-hmm. how much of it is keeping up with the Joneses and, you know, how much of it is because of what you're seeing on TV or in the, or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And how much of it is just life got expensive. Yeah, it is expensive. I mean, have you put a roof on your house lately? No, thank goodness. It's ugly. We had I mean, the house painted. Well, and even that, but but anything, if you own a home, th- there's a whole generation of people who don't want to own homes, and I get it. Oh, I'm with them. I, because, I tell people all the time, why why do you want to own? <laughs> you know, and find <laughs> an awesome. But the problem is, is landlords aren't a whole lot better sometimes. So it's it's true, mm-hmm. but you don't have to own as much as you can possibly afford. Yeah, and I think that's part of like our problem. Like we just kind of kept upgrading. Mm-hmm. Um, but not by like a ton, just like a little bit. But now we're in this house. It's just like, okay, we're going to be here forever. <laughs> First of all, because you can't afford a home here in Colorado. Like there's no way oh, yeah. we could sell this house and buy something else at this That's point. Another thing. That's another thing that COVID's doing yeah. is it's creating a mass migration from some of the big cities. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those are the New York and California cities where there's a lot of money. Yeah. And they're going to they Wyoming and Idaho and Colorado and Arizona and they're buying up the real estate and paying cash for it and they're yeah. rising the market. And that means people who live there can't afford to or, or who work there can't afford to live there. Mm-hmm. And there, there's there's a ripple effect yeah. that's that's coming that is um, it's really hard to to predict. None of us have seen it before in our lifetimes, and I hope we never see it again, but it'll be something different next time. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about moving somewhere, lower cost of living. Well, I mean, you could retire in Tennessee. It's lovely it's and it's very inexpensive. It's not much cheaper anymore. Oh, it is. No, I think it we is. were looking at um, Chattanooga. Yeah. Chattanooga is not expensive. It's not. And it, but a it's lot a of great, people are moving there. <laughs> it's a well, so get there, get there <laughs> I think, early. Get there I think often. Gary V is there. Well, there, it, it is a. Um, it, 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 there's a migration from big cities to smaller mm-hmm. towns. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect not only the financials of those areas, but it's going to it's going to affect the politics. I was going to say it's going to be a huge political shift into and those it's small gonna, towns. And, and there will, yes, um, you know, and you look like a uh, look at a town like Jackson, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Jackson, Wyoming is one of the coolest places. Jackson it is such Hole, a, yeah, it is super amazing. cool. Amazing, I love Jackson Hole, 
but every house there is someone's second home. There are seven figures plus. That's how most of the mountains is here in Colorado. Uh, well, and so, so there, I believe, well, yeah, so, same idea. I believe that, and I, and I, I could be wrong. So for anyone listening from Wyoming, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I believe there are rules that if you're an employer there, you have to provide housing for your employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just starting to do that in the resort. Because now. they can't afford to live there. Mm-mm. They have no shot. And if they have to commute an hour and a half, that's a distance. So what do you do when you don't have a workforce? You either have to do what Google did, which is bust them from San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. Or you have to do the small town. And you put them up in what is functionally a hotel for your employees. It's crazy. That's bizarre. It's so That's crazy. bizarre. It is bizarre. Actually, I remember somebody talking about them doing that in Aspen, Colorado. Wouldn't surprise me. They couldn't, there's no place to live for anybody right. who works there. Or you've right. got like people, like six people in a one bedroom apartment. Right. Um, but I always say like, when, how are the kids ever going to move out? Well, Where are they going to go? The kids don't live there. <laughs> no, my they kids. Don't. <laughs> oh, your kid. Well, yeah, no, they're going to stay with you forever too. Yeah, because there's going to be nowhere to go. But they, they'll, take, they'll take such good care of you. No, they're <laughs> going to go to they're going to go to Chattanooga. Yeah, maybe. Or, or you know, they're going to be in Georgia somewhere because it's less expensive. And you know, there's this migration not only because of uh, of COVID and the cities and the population density. There's also tax related migration. Mm-hmm. So from Baltimore, there's a one way pipeline to Naples, Florida. Huh, that makes sense. One way because it's it's on the Gulf. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's not hideously expensive it's it's expensive but it's mm-hmm. not exactly. it's not aspen expensive yeah um and it and that's where people go and they go because they can live and work in a place with abnormally high incomes mm-hmm. and then uh, and and take tax deductions for their 401ks mm-hmm. and then they can go retire someplace where they don't have to pay taxes at the state level on their 401ks yeah so it's tax arbitrage mm-hmm We've had, we've had clients who have moved from their homes in Maryland to Boca and gotten condos on the beach, and the condo is cheaper than just the state income tax they were paying here. It's crazy. It's like getting a free house to leave and go someplace sunny with a beach. Hmm. I'm in. Well, that, that's, yeah, we'll go together, Jamie. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> I'm in. It's crazy. kids will get along, don't you think? No. Well, I, we, be- have, um, we have clients that moved to Nevada. Um, you know, that work remotely uh-huh. um, oh, for, sure. for companies in California that live in Nevada. Oregon um, too. Oregon. Idaho. Oregon, Idaho, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. It's being able to work from anywhere mm-hmm. and relying less on airports mm-hmm. and relying less on um, proximity. Mm-hmm. Think of the good things that'll come out of this. First of all, for a business owner, you can hire talent anyway. We now have Two employees in Texas and one in Utah. Yep. I have one here in Colorado, one in Kansas, and then I don't know where this other one's going to be. Maryland. I told you I'm taking the job. I'm very expensive. <laughs> I'm um, sure you are. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but it doesn't matter where they live. If, nope. they can do the, if they can do the job. And if that's true, it's going to mean people don't necessarily have to go where the jobs are anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to school in Philadelphia and I love the city. I love Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But most of my fraternity brothers went directly to New York City and to Wall Street, and 14 of them were in the towers, mm. um, and all of them got out, wow. which is crazy. That is crazy. Um, now, of course, we have a whole generation of people who don't remember 9-11 mm-hmm. any more than you remember Kennedy. 
Nope. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't either. I mean, we've read about it, mm-hmm. but John F. Kennedy, that, that might, that's the same as Abraham Lincoln to us. Mm-hmm. It was in yeah. the history book. Well, 9-11 changed everything for an entire generation, and the new generation doesn't even think of it as anything. It yeah. might as well be the Alamo. Well, maybe the pandemic is theirs. It, it, it is. And they're going to tell ours. their kids and grandkids, well, but, but, more, but more theirs. They're going to be like, I spent my fifth grade year in my living room. Yeah, no, really. That's really interesting. Um, it's and, been- and their kids are going to be like, what? <laughs> right? What? And they'll be like, well, we always do. Wait a minute. They, all right. They're going to be like, you used to go to school? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Weird. There was a place called school? Um, so let's talk about financial independence. What yeah. does that look like? Um, it looks like having enough either um, predictable income or mm-hmm. enough assets that can create income for you to replace the lifestyle that you need or want without risking your principal. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it's getting to the point where your income is recurring mm-hmm. and sustainable indefinitely so that you're truly independent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, rules of thumb are a little dangerous. Um, in a rule of thumb, like, oh, the 4% withdrawal rule. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. It works until it doesn't. Yeah. Until there's um, no 4% left. So that, but that 4% is, let's use that as a barometer. Mm-hmm. What that means is that if you're used to living, let's say you and your husband are used to living on $120,000 a year. That's what you need to spend. That's what you need to live on. And you're going to retire today. Mm-hmm. How much money do you need to create $120,000 a year in income, 10 grand a month? And the answer lies in the seven figures mm-hmm. because for every million dollars you have at 4%, it pays you $40,000 a year. So if you need 120,000, you need $3 million of working assets. Hmm. All right. So now fast forward, you're making 120 today. You're going to retire in 25 years. Inflation's going to play a role, even though inflation has been modest. That's another thing. we got a whole generation doesn't remember inflation. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but inflation will ultimately be in some sense of normal. Mm -hmm. And so let's say, let's say inflation is, uh, let's be modest. Let's say it's 3%. If inflation's 3%, the cost of everything doubles in 24 years. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to retire in 24 years, call it, that 120 today needs to be 240 then. That means you need $6 million as your nest egg. And Social Security Mm-hmm. was designed to pay a portion of that. So if, you're, if you and your husband are each collecting $30,000 a year from Social Security, that's 60, is 60 of the 300. It's only 20% of what you would need to replace your lifestyle based on that math. That's crazy. So financial independence requires us to think about numbers that feel ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Because, because right now, if I said, Jamie, you got to have $6 million or you're not retiring, you might say, oh my gosh, that's all the money in the world. Or you might say, I have that in several accounts. Um, I don't know you, but, but don't. Um, <laughs> you don't. Okay. Full disclosure, I don't. Full disclosure, don't have $6 million. Fine. Nope. But, but the idea of $6 million to some people sounds like a complete impossibility and other people feel like, okay, how do we get there? Mm-hmm. And the way you get there is with time on your side. It's, it's figuring out how much you have to put away with a reasonable rate of return over the X number of years you have mm-hmm. to build that nest egg and then treating that nest egg as, as an ATM of sorts. But, it, it, but rather than an ATM where you make withdrawals, think of it more like a, an orchard. Mm-hmm. You're picking fruit and every year it'll bear new fruit. And as long as you don't chop branches off by taking excess withdrawals, you'll Mm -hmm. still have the same amount of fruit every year. Mm -hmm. 
And so um, the ATM model, I don't like. The, the orchard model get, makes sense to me. So financial independence is getting to a point where from all the different sources, you have enough, uh, enough wherewithal to never have to work again mm-hmm. and can prepare for what could be a 30-year retirement. I mean, there's people who couldn't afford a 30-day vacation. How do you right. fund a 30-year retirement? And it's not easy. It's mm-hmm. also not impossible. Yeah. But you need a co-pilot. I think it's important to have a financial advisor, an accountability partner, much like it's helpful to have a trainer at the gym. Right. Because, yeah, they have to navigate all this. It's it's a lot, but it's not impossible. It's just not what people want to think about every day. The last thing you want to do, and I used to say, when you get home from work, no one goes Mm -hmm. to work. When I come out of this room and you come out of that room, (laughs) we're we're trying to have dinner together that's been delivered. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but when you do that, the last thing you want to talk about is your retirement. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we going to do in 25 years? I don't, what are we going to do in 25 minutes? Right. What's gonna tomorrow going to look like? Are we, al- are, are we allowed to leave the house? Mm-hmm. So it, I think it's real important to have a strategy, to have a teammate, to have mm-hmm. a, um, to have open and, and incredibly transparent conversations with your spouse, mm-hmm. but not without a moderator. <laughs> the, the things married people fight about the most are kids and money. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Um, and well, you're a married human, and that's why you fight about kids and money. I'm also and, a tax preparer, and I get in the middle of some of this stuff sometimes on accident, not on purpose. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I've learned, I've learned when I have to take sides in mm-hmm. those to always, always, always side with the wife. Um, every time, mm-hmm. every time, like you know, and I'll ask questions of a, a client. I'll be like, so how long do you plan to stay in the house? Mm-hmm. And the husband will be like, forever. And the wife will be like, eh, two, three years. And I'll just look over. It happens all the time. I'll look over at him. I'll be like, you're going to need some boxes. Mm-hmm. You're, you're packing. Um, yeah. I sat down with a client once and I said, so, you know, what are your long-term term goals? You know, like, what do you guys want long-term? Cause we can't tax plan without knowing where, right. you know, what right. people want to do long-term. And she was like, yeah, you know, I really just want to build this house on this piece of land. And she's like, had all these like very specific things. Like it's going to be big mm-hmm. enough for the kids to visit, but not stay very long. Like she just mm-hmm. had like this very specific. Uh-huh. And he was just like, and I was like, people don't ask you this question very often. <laughs> they don't. Well, and so I ask people in the same way, mm-hmm. what, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. What do you want you to know, do? Why, what do you want to, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? Mm-hmm. What you know, do you want we to solve? Tie, we tie so much of our own um, self-worth mm-hmm. and our own identity to what we do instead of who we are. Mm-hmm. That when people say, tell me about yourself, the first thing you're inclined to say is I'm an accountant. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true, but that's not really who you are. No. That's your day job. (laughs) Maybe it's more than a day job. It's a night job too. But but my my point is that if if that's how you define yourself, Mm -hmm. how will you define yourself when your primary definition goes away? What are you going to say? So tell me about yourself. Well, I used to be an accountant. Oh, nice talking to you. You know, it's always funny. It's funny when people are always like, well, I actually got a accounting degree. And I'm like, okay, we can, we can talk then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to understand each other. Yeah. Yeah. It is. That, that is interesting. The, the change in defining who we are by what we do to what impact we make or how we or, help or people. Just what, or what we're about. Yeah. 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 It's really, it's really an interesting conversation. Think of the roles that we all have and the ones that matter are rarely where we hang our hat. 
True. They're usually how we interact with our kids, with our parents, with our friends and, and other family, with our with our employees or mm-hmm. our coworkers or mm-hmm. our bosses or anybody in, in, in all the relationships and all the people. And, you know, t- to me, the, the financial planning to me is is, first of all, it needs to be available to everyone. There have to be resources for everyone to be able to get it because financial literacy is the first step. If you can't read a bank statement, if you can't balance a checkbook or understand how credit works or basic building blocks, and we don't teach it in schools, if you can't do the basics, you can't possibly do the advanced stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if you didn't know what a balance sheet was, I'm not going to ask you about, uh, about carried interest or basis. Yeah. It just it just doesn't make sense. So how do we get people to learn some of the basics? And so um, the book is designed to do that. Mm. Um, I, I've also and, and I encourage you if you if you um, check out lowtaxbook.com, I would love your opinion on this. Okay. Um, I published an ebook. It's free. And it's uh, about the four places Mm-hmm. where most Americans can put money where it's never taxed again. Let's talk about those. That was going to be my event. See, you just keep going to my next question. Listen, I'm, I, like I said, I'm reading your mind. <laughs> I'm all in. Yeah, do it. Well, do you know what they are? Uh, let's see. Roth IRAs. Correct. HSAs. Correct. Whole life policies. Correct. Man, no one's ever gotten three before. If you get all four... I don't know the fourth one. 529s. 529 plans. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That's still big I always forget. That's actually 75% of C work, but but still, it was a passing grade. Nobody <laughs> yeah. People only get one or two. They're like Roth IRAs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Roth 401ks. I'm like, ah, it's the same thing. You, mm-hmm. you can't. Um, these are places where you can create real serious tax planning for yourself and for your family. And they Mm -hmm. all have specific rules and regs and all that. But if you go to lowtaxbook.com, you can download it for free. It it is a blueprint on how to use those four strategies. I I happen to think the HSA is the greatest thing ever created. Agreed. It is the perfect tax tool. Agreed. With, I guess the only exception I can come up with is that the contribution limit's too small. If it was bigger, it would be even more perfect. But it's still, yeah, it's still really great. There's some ways we can get some more money in there sometimes, Ooh, depending oh, on need, our. I depend- might need a new CPA. <laughs> depending on depending on how you how you do your plans. Well, it, it ultimately, figuring out ways to legally reduce income taxes, estate mm-hmm. taxes. Um, mm-hmm. corporate taxes, whatever, it, it, it makes a difference because it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. Exactly. It's what you can actually spend. Yeah. It's what which, you can put back in your businesses. And that's why we do advanced planning for our clients because it's like, I can save you, you know, if I can save you money, you can put it in your business and you can pay right. people and you can build what you want to build and create more, you know, jobs and wealth and take care of your people. Or if you're no longer running a business and mm-hmm. you're trying to get to that bogey for, for financial independence. Yeah. How much do you need? If what you need is gross, then your need for money is lower if it's not going to be taxable. Mm-hmm. So your lift is lighter. Yeah. And I think, and I mean, we can just, we'll just kind of finish here, but you know, I, I always say I know enough about financial planning to be dangerous, mm-hmm. but just that good mix of pre-tax and post-tax, because we just know that really the only place the tax rate, the tax rates can go right now is up. Correct, especially capital gains. Yeah, and so, estate tax, estate tax too. But capital gains, I think, are low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. 
And if, if we lose the step up in basis, it's a game changer. Having the 10 year rule on the IRAs is gruesome, mm-hmm. gruesome. People don't understand what that's going to mean to their kids, but yeah. we got a lot of folks who are leaving money to their kids and they've worked their whole lives to build it. They don't want to take it because they don't want to pay taxes on it, but they're going to leave it to their kids who are in a tax bracket much higher than theirs who mm-hmm. have to take larger withdrawals. Yeah. That's why Roths make a lot of sense. Loss are spectacular for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that mix of, you know, I have people tell me all the time, I pay too much in taxes. And I'm like, oh, your effective rate's like 13%. You're good. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's all of us think we pay too much. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I, have, I have said before, and I maintain it is always better to have a tax problem than an income problem. Yeah. I tell people that doesn't make a tax problem any fun. Mm-mm. It just means it's better to have enough abundance and enough income that you have to do some tax planning than it mm-hmm. is to not have enough to do what you need to do. Yes. And I always tell people, would you rather have the hundred thousand dollars and pay 30 per pay the 30% tax or not have the hundred thousand dollars? Right. It's just like the whole PPP depends, loan stuff. Depends we're working on, on the day. Oh yeah. It does no, the, depend on the day, but the PPP thing was, was giveth and taketh away. I mean, at the end of the day, um, folks were excited to receive it and it, it really did bandage them up. But next April, boy, are they going to pay the piper big time? Yeah. I have a lot of things to say about the PPP loans. I'll bet. Yes. We should do that over a bourbon. <laughs> That's a bourbon <laughs> conversation. Um, I think my only operative word for that is clusterfuck. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the technical term, but that's you should not use term. jargon on your show. <laughs> this is the, this is you want to be term. able to relate to the masses. You can't use jargon <laughs> on your podcast. All right, Eric. Um, before I ask my last question, what is the easiest way for people to find you? Um, you can find my podcast at mm-hmm. don'tretiregraduate.com. Mm-hmm. And you can find our firm at bfgfa.com. That's BFG Financial Advisors. All right. Um, question for you. What is the one thing everyone needs to do today to get in a better place for their future financial planning? Eliminate debt, adverse debt. If there's one thing that's a killer of financial wellness, it is consumer debt. And here we are holiday season, plus or minus, um, people overspend this time of year anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, and have it's one thing to have a, a mortgage on a home or a business loan to start a company or some kind of leverage on appreciating yeah, I mean, assets debt, all debt isn't isn't bad Mm-mm. but adverse debt 401k loans are a disaster um per, uh, per, personal lines of credit are a disaster it's okay to have access to working capital mm-hmm. having a line of credit on your home is great for an emergency it's not great to leave it there that's mm-hmm. not the point um but consumer debt is by and large always bad and um, if you have debt, the first step is to, the first step is to plug the hole in the bottom of that bucket and stop taking on more debt. Mm-hmm. So first thing is stop spending more than you make, and the second thing is have a legitimate plan and an accountability partner to get out of it. Whether it's a coach or a therapist or a next door neighbor, um, have something or someone um, that is going to create a plan around that for you. Because I love it. you know, otherwise people just won't do it. It's too painful. It is painful, right? It's a good way to, it's, it's one of those things we can get buried in and then not paying any attention to. And, it, it, you know, like, like they say, if you're in a hole, first stop digging. Yeah. Stop digging. Stop 
going to the well, it used to be the department stores. Now it's get off yeah. of Amazon. Yeah. Unless you're buying my book on Amazon, then it's yeah, okay. But other than okay. that, don't, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that also goes back to the conversation of, you know, people who are working those three, three jobs to just get by, you know, like they're taking on debt because they have to, in a lot of ways, like to eat or whatever. And that's Sometimes. a whole, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, Sometimes. there's people who can't, I, it's, it's, inter- I would be interesting to see like the profiling of who has Debt. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's because of that. A lot of times mm-hmm. it starts with student debt, which mm-hmm. is really a bill of goods we talked about, about mm-hmm. this is not a guarantee of a better life or a better income or a better anything. In fact, it might be a lifetime of struggle. Not anymore. Um, and so it starts with student debt, which is, I would argue that your education is not collateral. I, I mean, it, it's not. And maybe your education, some would say, oh, it's accretive, it's, uh, it, it, it's upwardly mobile, and yes, it's an investment, and maybe, but the ROI is not very good unless, unless it is a top, top degree in a field that has that kind of predictability. The MIT folks we talked about, mm-hmm. okay, I'll buy that. Right. But I was an English major, and I was fortunate to get out of school without loans because it was the early 90s, and there wasn't as much of that. But if it had been 10, 15 years later with the costs, the way it went, I would have borrowed money and I'd, I might still be paying for it. Yeah. And that's, again, it's that bill of goods that you have to go to school. You have to yeah. spend all this money to actually like move up in the world. That's right. It's a huge issue. It's, it, it, it's going to get better for the next generation, but there's mm-hmm. a whole group of folks who are, they're stuck. Mm-hmm. You're stuck. You can't even bankrupt your way out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. you're really stuck. Yeah. That's crazy. Which and is you why- made those decisions before you were old enough to drink that bourbon. I, know. I don't get it. How can you make a half million dollar decision when you've never had a job? I know. And that's the thing that just boggles my mind. Like if they wanted to eliminate the student debt, I'd be like, please, by all means, we're all going to be better for it. Well, I, I, I don't. I think there's lots of problems with that. I I mean, that's the ant and the grasshopper. Yeah, it is. You know, you don't, why, why punish the the folks who either avoided it or paid it off? Yeah. It was so expensive though. I mean, what they pay now is just so expensive. Maybe they could just like do the math (laughs) and be like, we're going to just eliminate what, you know, huge arbitrage or create tax incentives or create some kind of match so that you're not giving up all accountability, but you're helping. I I have no problem with helping people who are in that position. I think it's, it's, I think it's the right thing to do, but to just wipe it out is, is teaching a lesson that, that you can borrow money and not pay it back. And that's not a good lesson. I think it goes with that bill of goods though, right? We're also, they were sold something fraudulent. Maybe. Yeah, I know. It's it's an interesting conversation to have because I think it's, yeah, people get like very like, and I'm like, but why does it matter? You're fine. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's, it is something we could, I, I could lucidly argue either side in a debate. Me too. Um, which means that it's a good debate to have. Yeah. I think it's a good debate to have. I think it's a, it, it is a very big issue when we're dealing mm-hmm. with that adverse debt. Um, Agreed. And you know, the liquidity of people and what they have to do to get a little, get by. And yeah, I mean, I came out of school thankfully with not much debt because I worked my, my parents were able to pay for my school and I paid my portion, which was a third of all my schooling and stuff. Um, and I, I worked to make that happen and mm-hmm. I was able to do that. Um, but my friends who went and got masters right after me, mm-hmm. a lot of them, their interest rates mm-hmm. for their student debt, like 
between when my husband and I graduated in 2003 Mm -hmm. (laughs) and when they graduated, you know, a couple of years later, their interest rates and like the debt that they took on to do those master's degrees and things like that is just, it just boggles my mind how it Mm -hmm. changed so much in just a couple of years. It's not, it hasn't gotten better yet, Mm -hmm. but that may be a, that may be a reaction to COVID. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Because the the need for sprawling campuses might feel less important now than the ability to get a good solid education less expensively. Yeah, that's um, not and good even answer. if it's some hybrid model. Yeah. It's it I I I think college as we know it had better evolve or there will only be a handful left and there'll be elite schools that have endowments. <laughs> Truly. And how many, and there's a lot of kids like my son who like thrives on this hybrid model. He was in school two days and then he was online for three. Now he's fully online and hopefully they're going back in a couple months, in a couple weeks, but he thrived in that model. The seven days a week middle school model or some classes in a day model that did not work for him. This hybrid, hybrid black model, amazing for him. It's, it's, it's interesting. My, my daughter's been in school all year. So mm-hmm. she actually has been going to school, which which I am thankful for. Um, but when she was remote last spring, she did really fine. Mm-hmm. I know other parents whose kids, mm-hmm. they can't. My 10-year-old does not. She it, not. It's unfortunately, it's creating an amazing gap between mm-hmm. those kids who have the right Wi-Fi and the mm-hmm. right technology and the right parents being able to be home to help and the right, like, it, it has split the educational divide further than we had ever seen it. And it was already bad. It was really bad. It's still bad. It's worse. Yeah, it's going to be worse. Well, this is not uplifting. We no. need to end on an uplifting note. Tell me, tell me, yeah. that, the salt, tell me that the salt redo is going to happen. For S corp owners in states where we're grossly overtaxed, uh, just technical tax I you, questions. I want you to go on record saying that is actually going to happen, and then I want to send you all of my stuff so you can redo my returns for three years. <laughs> I'm, I'm expensive, just so you know. Um, and and I'm willing to pay for it if I get that back. Um, so what Eric is talking about is um, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act created um, a limit on the. Um, the salt tax, which is your state and local taxes, so property taxes, sales taxes, things like that, to be deductible on your schedule eight, on your schedule A, yes. Um, and what we're currently seeing is some potential legislation that would allow business businesses to deduct um, pass through entities, S corp specifically, to deduct all that stuff or deduct those things that are business related at the business level instead of at the individual level where they are limited. Done. You have a new client. Let's do that. So that's what Eric is talking about. (laughs) It's potential legislation. I don't generally weigh in on that stuff. Um, I think that there is enough pull in enough states to potentially make this happen. Um, That salt limitation created issues in a lot of places with higher property taxes, which is generally the East Coast and the West Coast, that's where we see some of the higher property taxes. Um, but if you, it's very interesting to talk about like effective like tax rates of that are not, you know, federal taxes or state taxes. There's every state has their own mm-hmm. taxes. Um, but this is also something we do through planning with at the C Corps um, is how much are we limited? Um, and can we create a C Corp to get some of those taxes over there? <laughs> I, I just <laughs> think every, everyone listening to this show should have CPA envy. 
Uh, okay. Truly. <laughs> they should all want you as their CPA. Well, thank you. Um, you know, welcome. I always say that taxes are puzzles. Um, you know, there's the, uh, my friend Juan, actually, who I interviewed earlier today, he was like, it's like a thousand piece puzzle. And I'm like, it really is. Yes. There's no one size good fits all, but it's a thousand pieces, but Congress keeps hiding some of the pieces. Yeah. If you do a thousand piece puzzle and seven pieces are in the couch cushions and you can't find them, you're, you're not satisfied. If you mm. don't have that thousandth piece, <laughs> it's the worst experience ever. You just right? spent a month putting this thing together. Yeah. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was a huge shift oh, in yeah. how we plan and how we do things. But Definitely. people people keep asking me, well, should we just wait to plan until you know, Biden makes changes or whatever? And I'm just like, they're just going to keep making changes and we're just yeah. going to keep changing how we plan. That doesn't you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> well, um, you're absolutely right. And if that comes to fruition, I'm going to be, I'm going to do a jig. It's going to be epic. <laughs> I'll even do we'll it on see. your show if you want. We'll see. It'll okay. be interesting. I don't need to go read some more about it. I started reading about it and I was like, oh, it's potential legislation. I don't, I try not to spend a whole lot of time in potential legislation because then I get confused. Well, I agree with you, except when it's going to impact me and so many of our of our it. colleagues and clients yeah. so much yeah. that I have a rooting interest on legislation, which I also know better than to do. Yeah, we have. Because then you, you run the risk of getting your hopes dashed. <laughs> right. So if you're an S-Corp owner and you're listening to this and you're in a high tax state and you're rooting for this, don't go spend the money. You might not get it back. Yeah. Don't, don't do, do that. that. And don't go prepay stuff. I love nope. when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act people are like, go prepay stuff. No, nope. I'm like, no, no. that's not going to work. Don't do <laughs> Don't it. Don't even bother standing in line. <laughs> Correct. And then people were mad and I was like, it wasn't me that told you to do that. <laughs> it was your other deck person who's not paying attention. Just remember that when we pay high taxes, it's our CPA's fault. Always. <laughs> It's your lack of planning fault, right? Correct. Just like I blame my accountant in every single case. You know, I always tell people, you can throw me under the bus. That's fine. You can invoke my name to get stuff done. Well, just, you know, at the end of the day, when I get really upset about my tax bill, the person on the receiving end of that is always my CPA. Which who's is why like, we do tax projections. He's like, buddy, day. I totally get it. I'm sorry. You made money and you should stop doing that. <laughs> is that what he said? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I say that. In but the safety, from the safety of a telephone call, he says that. No. <laughs> if he was sitting here. <laughs> we do tax projections for all of our clients every single year because I don't want to have that conversation. I know. I, I'd yeah, rather have it now than like in April because I don't like to make those phone calls. We'll forget. Well, that, will forget. that has happened. And I'm like, remember that conversation we had on October 14th? Nope. <laughs> And they're like, I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. They're like, I sure yeah, as heck don't remember. They're like, that. they're like, no, I blocked it out, mm -hmm. but I do acknowledge that you did tell me. <laughs> you, you may have said a little something, but I wasn't listening and I didn't understand it anyway. And you promised it would be okay and it's not. I, well, I rarely do that. Oh, <laughs> awesome, Eric. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the show today. Oh man, this was such fun. It was good to see you. And uh, it, it's always fun to talk taxes and to talk bourbons and you know. to talk literature. And, and Your new taxes could be fun. We can talk 18th century romantic poetry anytime you want. I'll even quote some. That's not even on my will in my wheelhouse at all. So we're going to skip that one. Fair enough. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, 
please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.